Thank you for downloading and listening to the season one finale of the What I Witness podcast. I've had an extremely successful launch and have had over 1,100 downloads during this first season. I am currently collecting amazing stories for season two so I can bring you more frightful stories of the paranormal. Also, thank you for all of your support on our Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter pages. Now let's get into the final stories of this season. On this episode of the What I Witness podcast, you will hear Elisa Juilliard recount several stories from her childhood to paranormal accounts that she is experiencing today. She has seen several apparitions throughout the years. Most of them are people unknown to her, with the exception of a dear loved one on a very important day in her life. I hope you enjoy these accounts and tune in for season two. Thank you. Lisa, and this is what I witnessed. I grew up in Canyon City, Colorado, um, lived there until I went to college, moved back after college, and then moved to Pueblo full-time. Um, and in my family, we're all fairly superstitious and with good reason. Um, my great-grandma was especially superstitious. So when the story I'm about to tell you happened. I want you to understand the full meaning of why that was so difficult for our family to deal with. Um, in Canyon City, there is a hotel known as the Hotel St. Cloud. And it has changed hands more times than I think anybody in the entire town knows. Um, at one point, it was also in the possession of one of our family members. When I was a little girl, most of the time that that hotel was open was for a couple of months at a time. It was usually boarded up and it was just basically an abandoned building on a city block. Um, to this day, it's owned, but it's not occupied. So when I was a fairly young girl, probably somewhere between eight and 10, opened up as a little boutique shop, a little thrift store. And my mom and I went in to basically go check out the building because it had been boarded up for as long as I could remember. And my mom couldn't remember the last time it hadn't been boarded up. So we went in there more to look around and see the building than actually shop. Um, my mom knew the shopkeeper who was managing the building at that point. And when we went in, I asked if it would be okay for me to look around. Um, I was told, just don't go in the kitchen and don't go on the third floor. The third floor is not safe. You'll have to take the stairs because the elevator doesn't work. Um, the elevator was advertised as being, quote, original, meaning it didn't work. <laughs> it was probably not even structurally sound. And when I went in front of the elevators, I noticed that it was padlocked shut. Um, while I was walking around on the second floor and on the first floor, I really didn't notice anything creepy, nothing weird happened until I got back downstairs and I was standing in front of the elevators. 
and I heard wheels starting to squeak like old, old elevators do. Um, the gear mechanisms can tend to squeak, especially have, if they haven't been used for many years. And I watched the elevator lights go between the first and the third floor several times. And I thought, oh dear, maybe the elevator's malfunctioning and went to tell my mom and her friend. And after several minutes of arguing with me about this, I said, well, it doesn't work, but tell that to the elevator. It's working right now. It's running right now. And the shopkeeper looked at me dead in the face and told me, that's not possible. The gears that ran the elevator are not there. They were removed because they weren't safe. And shortly, a couple of seconds later, we look because we hear the elevator doors that are supposed to be padlocked shut open. And a lady in, I guess, 1910, 1912 dress walked out. And she looked at us and she was very, the word that I use is consternated. She looked very confused as to why we were there. And I don't remember very much about her, but her eyes did not look right. Um, she looked, you know, fairly solid, like sitting across from me to you and looked very solid. For some reason that to this day, no one in my family understands. <laughs> um, I ran up the stairs to the third floor that was structurally unsound. There were holes in the floor. It was not a safe place for anybody to go. And when I got to the third floor, I saw this same lady. Her eyes still did not look right. And I don't have a clear memory of her in my head. I just remember that she looked like something out of like 1910, 1912 fashion books. And she looked at me and said, hello, Elisa, would you like some tea? And held her hand out to me. I don't remember effectively anything that happened after that point. I was so scared. I literally couldn't move. I felt like I really want to leave, but I couldn't go anywhere. I remember feeling my mom grab my hand and start shaking me and pulling me off of this floor and I remember feeling very very cold which was something that my mom and her friend said it was very cold up there and you were just standing completely still in the middle of this space my mom told me that she didn't see the lady up on the third floor but when I told her and my great-grandma what this entity had said to me, my great-grandmother freaked out. And at the time, I did not understand why. A few years later, um, at this point, I so let me backtrack a little bit. When I told my grandmother this, she told me, do not ever go anywhere near that building again which is kind of hard because it's in the middle of downtown Canyon City where the only cool stuff to do is. <laughs> and unless you use a very specific route, that's the only way to get to the public library, which is where I pretty much lived growing up, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Um, 
so a few years later, I don't remember what was going on, but for some reason, that particular route to the library was closed off. I had no other choice but to go by the Hotel St. Cloud, where I made a point of avoiding. Um, so when you're walking on the outside of this building, it's a very large building. It's a red brick building on the corner of the street. And you can see when the, when the windows aren't boarded up, you can see into where the elevators are from the ground floor. So I'm walking by on the sidewalk. I had to walk my bike for some reason. I couldn't be in the street and I don't remember why, but I felt drawn to look into the building. And I looked in and could see directly into the elevator bank. And there was that lady again in basically the same outfit that I saw her in the first time. And she beckoned for me to come inside. And I had that same, don't want to be here, I have to leave feeling. And I did, <laughs> because this time I was outside of building. And for some reason, for me as a person, being in that building makes it to where I can't physically leave. I don't have that ability to make myself leave. But when I'm outside, I can. I shook my head and I completed my walk to the library. Um, when I got to the library, I was not one of those cool kids. I had to use the payphone and uh, called my mom to have her come pick me up. And I told my mom on the phone, I saw that lady again. And my mom told me to go sit in the old part of the library as physically far from this building as I could. So the way that the Canyon Public Library is set up, there's a um, section that was built in the 80s. And then there was the original part of the building. Um, so she told me to sit in the old part of the building where they have this old fireplace and a reading nook that is where I could see the street, but far enough away from that building that I couldn't even see it from where I was sitting. Now, when my mom picked me up, she was actually very upset with me. Um, didn't understand why at the time. Let it pass because she refused to talk about it. I was told specifically, do not mention that you saw that lady again to grandma at all. I respected that because I did not want to get in trouble for being anywhere near that building. Flash forward about 10 years. I remember how old I was because I was old enough to drink. So I was about 22. And I went to a bar that is just down the block from the Hotel St. Cloud with a bunch of my cousins after we all got off work we were going to go shoot pool and hang out and just have a good time so it was very late um and we had all stepped out onto the curb to get some fresh air finish chatting finish up the evening and i looked over at the hotel st cloud and i told my cousin i'm going over there <laughs> i'm sick of this creepy old place and i'm going over there my cousin, who to this point had been very chill, having fun, horsing around, making jokes, went completely dead serious. And I'll be honest, this particular cousin of mine 
I don't think he has a serious bone in his body. It, so this personality shift in this very brief second of me simply stating I was going to go over and have a look at that building freaked him out enough to completely sober him up. He grabbed me by my shoulder and told me, do not go over there. Your dad will kill me. I laughed it off. He's like, no, dad's not going to kill you over me going to a creepy old building. Grow up. We're not little kids anymore. And he grabbed me by both shoulders and made me look him dead in the eyes. And he was scared. Genuinely, wholeheartedly scared. And he told me, I made a promise to grandma to never let you go near there. It is not safe for you to go there. Never, ever go there. I will not break a promise this serious, especially to grandma. And it clicked in my head. (laughs) that something very, very bad had happened that very first time I was in that building. Um, So a couple of months later, I addressed it with my great-grandma. And she told me that a dead man had my name on their lips, and they would not stop until I came back. To this day, I have my suspicions of what that means, but I avoid that building entirely. This was not my first encounter with the paranormal, and it has not been my last, and it likely will just be another one of the many stories of the paranormal I've had. My next story happened when I was a little kid again. This was after the lady at the Hotel St. Cloud. The very first time um, I was over at one of my aunt's houses and she lived in a old mini mansion. So this would have been, it was built in the late 1800s. It was owned by a very old and very mean lady and it was purchased by my aunt's family in the early 1910s 1920s when the original owner died um and there are innumerable tons and tons of stories of this particular house because it's very very haunted Um, In the 1950s, they sealed off what would have been the servant stairs. So the original owner of this home was well enough off that she could afford house staff. Um, She was described to be a very cruel mistress, a very hateful, abusive person. And one account is that a young scullery maid was murdered by this lady in her house by being pushed down the servant stairs. Now in the local newspaper accounts we were able to research and we did verify 
that this young lady did in fact die in the house. The local news story, of course, was that she tragically fell down the stairs. And these particular stairs were sealed off due to how steep they were being very a very serious concern. They were not as steep as other stairs in the house, though. So these particular stairs were sealed off and the bottom part was made into a pantry and the top part was converted into my uncle's music studio. He's a professional musician. He performs with a few symphonies here in Colorado. And he's used this as a recording studio and the whole upstairs is also a, when we were younger, it was a game room and it was also two bedrooms as well as his recording studio. Um, the game room was probably the least used room in the house when we were growing up because it was so scary up there. We would hear things, we would see shadows walking around, we would hear doors slam shut. It was not, a, it wasn't as happy a place as my aunt and uncle wanted it to be because it was clear that we children were not welcome upstairs. Um, my uncle has said that that particular spirit has never bothered him before. Um, he still has his music studio in that same area. He reports that he'll see them periodically, but it's not a malicious thing and it hasn't been malicious towards anyone but children. So, my interaction with this particular spirit that scared me so i'm absolutely terrified to go into my aunt's house to this day i was upstairs with my cousin and we were going to go back downstairs now after they sealed off the servant stair they put in a set of very, very steep stairs that open up right onto the front door. These doors are these stairs are fairly treacherous on a good day, and you can get very badly hurt falling down them. I have fallen down them more times than I care to count growing up. But this particular time, we made a rule of no one went up there alone when we were little kids because we were all that scared to go up there alone. I had forgotten something. My cousin was waiting for me on the stairs for me to turn around and come back down. When I turned around, I saw these old school work boots. These were like something out of the late 1800s, early 1900s clearly old buckle leather work boots. And I followed it up <laughs> the skirt to a very angry looking woman who then proceeded to push me down the stairs head first. If my cousin had not been there to break my fall, I would have broken my neck. At that point, my aunt and uncle forbade any of us from going up there without an adult. 
I, I I've seen enough strange things in my life that very little does scare me. That did. To this day, I cannot forget that woman's face. She was gray pallid. She had dark eyes, dark hair, and she was furious. And the fact that she intentionally shoved me down the stairs was enough for me to get the hint that I was not welcome up there, and I never went back up there again. Um, my next story comes in when I was in my very first apartment. <laughs> um, so I, after high school, I moved to Pueblo to go to CSU Pueblo, study criminology, worked with Jose in the archive, and got to know him really well. Um, so when I moved into my first full apartment in Pueblo with the man who would eventually become my husband, we were broke college students. <laughs> so we were living on the Upper East Side in Belmont Manor apartment. We were in a basement apartment so loud bumps loud bangs voices annoyances were it was just a fact of life this was a basement apartment in a really rough neighborhood what made me realize that our place was haunted was not the loud banging it was not the annoying sounds it was every morning I had to commute from Pueblo back to my hometown where I was working as a social worker and I had to leave very early in the morning especially on days when I had early morning meetings and I had to go to the office first and then leave this particular day I had noticed for months that things would be moved around. I'm kind of obsessive compulsive, especially when it comes to my kitchen. And little things would be moved around. So like my coffee wouldn't be in the right place. Um, my favorite ladle would be in the wrong spot. So little things that you write off to, hey, roommate, put that back where it goes kind of stuff so for months my poor now husband was getting the rough edge of my tongue when it came to putting things back where they go and one particular morning I had to wake up at some ungodly hour I think it was around 2 30 or 3 in the morning that I had to get up and go down to Canyon and then back up and go to Denver had to be in Denver by seven and I had left something I needed for my Denver trip at the office in Canyon and had to go get it first so I came out to my kitchen and I noticed that the cupboard above my sink was open and it appeared that items were falling out of my cupboard now what clued me in at this ungodly I'm not awake hour of the morning 
that it wasn't my cupboards crashing down and into my sink was that there was no sound of calamity striking in a kitchen. There wasn't this cacophony of loud bangs and metal crashing into metal or anything like that. It was a very organized, succinct click of cans being placed purposefully on the counter. And I said, hey, loud enough that it apparently woke up my now spouse. And I observed a what appeared to me to be a black mist. We kept nightlights all over the place in that apartment because it didn't matter what time of day it was, it was dark in there. And this semi-solid black mist started taking kind of a humanish shape. And it felt like someone looked at me like, oh, I just got busted having this really weird interaction with your kitchen. Hi. <laughs> and it was really enough in the morning. And I wish I had been, could say I had been in any way, shape, or form dignified. I wasn't. I said, I don't give a damn. Just put it all back properly when you're done. After the very brief pause of, mid-air can my husband walked out and saw the same thing I was seeing which means that I'm going back to bed <laughs> back to bed I proceeded out the door as quickly as I could shut and locked it behind me and said I can't deal with this it's too early in the morning I'm dreaming this that evening when I got home my husband looked at me and said when I woke up all the cans were put back <laughs> So I looked at him and I said, I think our house is haunted. My, our apartment's haunted. Pretty sure it is. He's like, okay, well, if it is, it is. And my husband is very much so a, he doesn't necessarily believe it even when he sees it because weird shouldn't happen. In his mind, weird should not happen. <laughs> it's not natural. It's not part of the natural world. He's very much a hard science person, so if he can't touch it, feel it, explain it, he doesn't want to deal with it. And I am, in fact, the complete opposite. <laughs> I am completely okay with, oh, right, you're going to be here. We're going to share this space. That's fine. Just don't make a mess. Put things back where they go. And that sort of thing continued to be a typical occurrence at our house. Um, we just kind of learned to deal with it. Um, one day while living in that apartment towards the end of our stay there, I saw our, um, shall we call him a roommate, and it appeared to be a little boy. I was at home alone and was walking out of our bedroom down the little hall that was in our apartment to the living room area and saw a little boy who appeared to be kind of blue in color, semi-translucent, peeking out from around a corner. And poor little thing looked far more scared than I was. And it was early enough in the morning that I was not in a grand mood. And I said, you can stay here. Just put things back when you're done. 
Um, at my homes, I've always kept toys for small children. I've got several nieces and nephews. And they'll come and visit. And I would notice that some of the toys would occasionally be pulled out and played with and left. And it never really bothered me. It never struck me as odd. And then when we moved to our next home, he followed us. And he continued to follow us throughout our homes ever since. So I feel like when I offered that invitation for him to stay, he... A few years later, um, we purchased a home in the Bessemer neighborhood in Pueblo. And at the time that we purchased this home, I was very, very pregnant. Um, actually, a week after I ha- we bought the home and moved in, my daughters were born. So this home was built in 1904. And it is a old Sears Rodenbeck house. It was remodeled in the 70s. And the way that this house was originally built, it had a full attic, which would have been used as bedrooms. And it is set up in such a way that you cannot see into the back of the house from the front door. Um, The way it is now, the attic has been closed off with limited access you have to have a ladder to get through it basically a trap door to get into the attic space (laughs) um in mine and my husband's bedroom and it extends into our daughter's nursery because in that those two particular rooms there is a jack and jill door that opens between our bedroom and our daughter's nursery and there is a closet that used to be the stairway entrance to the attic space. When they sealed it off, you can see where there's still a couple of stairs and then it's all blocked off and it's just clothing rack and shelves. So to get into the attic space, there is a entry in the ceiling right next to the basement stairs super safe right and then there is my back office space a master bathroom and then a fully finished basement that is basically the size of the main part of the house when we first moved in I did not get a chance to go check out the attic space I was way too pregnant to get up there And frankly, my husband's too big to really get around up there. And we didn't really have anybody who was willing to go up there. So until very recently, I had no idea what was up there. I was going off of faith that it was everything's kosher. Well, when we first moved in, like I said, I was super, super pregnant. and the day that we closed on the house and we got the keys my cousin and I came over to paint the living room because I was having the ultimate nesting of got to do the whole thing do it now Um, my cousin graciously volunteered to help so he and I were painting in the living room and we heard 
banging sounds, basically clanking and loud sounds coming from the creepy basement that I don't like going into. Everywhere else in this house felt like it was my home. I was welcome. It was comfortable. The basement never felt that way. And it to this day doesn't feel that way. I do not feel welcome in that basement area. Um, in the basement is the boiler. So I went to investigate, <laughs> realizing it was coming from the back of the house and frankly being afraid it might have been the boiler. I got to the edge of the stairs to the basement and froze. Froze dead on the spot. Something in my gut told me, do not go down there. And so I did not. <laughs> and I said, oh, it's just, you know, weird sounds coming from the outside. It's not a big deal. Went back to painting the living room. Um, while we were working on the house, we'd hear the occasional banging sound, but you know, we both wrote it off to weird sounds in a new place, not a big deal. So flash forward to mine and my husband's first night sleeping in our new home. Again, I was super pregnant and was not sleeping well to begin with because there's no way to find a comfortable position when you're pregnant with twins. It just doesn't happen. Um, my husband could sleep through a nuclear blast in any situation. Um, so when I heard what sounded like footsteps walking across an attic floor that I knew because I was told by our inspector that there's no floor up there. There's nothing really structurally that you can walk on. There's just floor joists and a couple of boards set out so you can move across to lay down insulation. I thought that was very odd. <laughs> um, and I initially thought maybe I'm hearing that from the wrong direction. Oh my God, maybe someone's in the house because we hadn't had a chance to change the locks. And, you know, who knows who has keys to your house? So I tried to wake my husband up to get him to go investigate scary sound. And he rolled over and told me, you're just antsy. Try to get some sleep. It's just a new house. Wrote it off to, okay, I'm hormonal, I'm tired, and I'm in a new place. Great. <laughs> Couple weeks later, our daughters were, a week later, our daughters were born, and they were staying in the NICU. So when I was home, I wasn't sleeping well because my daughters were in the hospital and couldn't come home yet. So I would stay up and read at night. And I'd sit with my little lamp on and I'd be reading. So there was enough light to cast shadows in the room and to let you clearly see what's going on. Every night, that whole time, I heard footsteps walking around and coming down a set of stairs that no longer exists. And I was no longer convinced that it was just in my imagination that I was just not resting well. It was, this is 
footsteps. I've heard footsteps walking across floors above me before. I know what footsteps are. These sound like someone is walking across the floor to come down a set of stairs that are wooden, which the stairs to our basement are not. They're concrete covered with carpet. There was no doubt in my mind where these footsteps were coming from at this point. And that particular night, I was sitting up reading, and it was very early in the morning, probably one or two in the morning. And I hear these footsteps again, and out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching my husband's closet door. And out from my husband's closet comes this shadow form that walked from his closet through the nursery and to the living room. Now, there is a door at our house that on the other side. So when you go into our house, we keep the door to our daughter's bedroom that you can access from the living room shut tightly because they're toddlers and they are very <laughs> creative when they want to get somewhere that they're not supposed to be during the day and in their nursery is one of those places. So we keep that shut and I have since put a dresser drawer in front of it to make it even harder for anybody to open this. So I watched this shadow figure casually walk across in my daughter's rooms and out into the living room. And I froze solid where I was sitting because that was very unnerving. Again, even though I had seen a large number of, shall we say, odd things, that was not what I expected in our house. <laughs> Especially not walking across my daughter's nursery to go to the living room. And I wrote it off to, okay, you know, maybe it's residual and we'll just, you know, deal with it it'll be okay not a big deal and then I noticed this was a nightly occurrence and when we brought the babies home I slept in the nursery to be certain of what was going on in that nursery and this entity has never disturb my children in their sleep never to my knowledge done anything other than their nightly walk across the attic come down the stairs and leave the stairs area <laughs> about i'd say about a month ago my daughter scarlet who is a very boisterous little soul. And my daughter Ella, who is a very calm, happy, chill little person, were playing in their playroom. And 
I was standing in the kitchen. I had a clear line of sight into their playroom. They were on the opposite side of the room from the door. The door shuts tight. And my daughter's panicked because we don't shut very many doors in our house because they are toddlers and they can't reach doorknobs, especially if it's a room that they're allowed to go into during the day. The door remains open, period. So I went over and had to forcefully open the door. And I stood in the middle of their playroom. I was holding my daughters and I told whoever was listening, you are welcome to stay, but you do not scare my children. You do not shut doors. You do not open doors. You do not present yourself to my children, period. And went about my business. I brought the girls out to the living room and shut the nurse, shut the playroom door and told them we're not going to play in there today. A couple weeks later, my daughters were sitting in the living room and I was standing in the kitchen and on the entry wall to the kitchen, there is a little sofa and then we have a large wingback chair that is mainly, frankly, used for, like, coats and pillows and odds and ends things that, you know, we don't really want to put away just yet, but we might need them fairly shortly. My mom calls it the junk chair. <laughs> um, in other houses, that's usually reserved for the treadmill. <laughs> that's what this chair is for our house. And my daughters are sitting there, and Ella looks up and starts waving and says, Bye, Chuck! And I look out there because I'm like, you know, I don't, I didn't see anybody come to the door. There's no one at the door. And she's looking at this chair. And then Scarlett looks up and points and says, bye bye, Chuck, and goes back to playing. And I went back to cooking and just kind of let that go. And then a couple of days later, the girls were playing, sitting in the living room, and they looked over at the front door and said, hi, Chuck. Again, there's no one there. Okay, that's weird, but okay, maybe we got a Chuck, apparently. And I said, okay, house rules, don't present yourself to my children or you will leave. And I haven't heard hire by Chuck ever since. About two weeks ago, I heard what sounded like skittering in the attic. Now, there's precious few things on this world that I'm not okay with. And rodents is right at the top of the list. <laughs> um, I thought we had mites. And it's that time of year where we're getting ready for state fair and we're close enough to the state fair that we get the field mice that follow the horses. So I decided to go upstairs and look around the attic for myself to finally get eyes on this mysterious space in our house. 
And while I'm up there, I'm like, okay, you know, while I'm up here, I'll check the insulation, lay down some barbate, you know, burn some sage, <laughs> see what we can do to maybe get a little bit less rockets at night. And while I'm up there, I go over to a corner of on the underside of the attic space that would be in my living room closest to the front entryway opposite corner. So basically the front right hand corner of my house if you're standing in the living room facing the front door. And I go over to that corner and lay down a little barbie and lift up the insulation to see what condition it's in. And lo and behold, <laughs> there is a Ouija board under the insulation in my attic. I was not amused at all. It looked like one of the, you know, I call them the corny boards where it is a what was intended to be a toy and it is not a toy. <laughs> um, you can make a Ouija board out of paper and a pencil for Pete's sake. I, being very superstitious, don't welcome those things into my home. I will tolerate this presence of spirits. I will tolerate a lot of things. But that's at the top of my list of no. Won't tolerate it. I panic immediately. <laughs> um, there, there was no dignity in this retreat. Get down and get this out of my house. It was the only thing that I could think was just get it out of the house. I don't know who used it. I don't know if they used it properly. I don't want it in my house. This is effectively a doorway to hell in my house with my children. So I called a friend of mine who practices um, Wiccan magical practices. She is a practicing Wiccan and explained the situation. Um, she and I have mutual respect for each other and have for years. And I recognize as a Russian Orthodox Catholic, that there are some things in this world that it's better to call in an expert on that particular thing. And that particular thing, in my opinion, and fortunately I had access to that sort of person, required a person familiar with opening and closing those kinds of doors. So my friend came over and removed, made sure that everything was clean and out of my house. Now we still have our residual friend who walks across the attic every night, but we haven't seen or heard of Chuck in a while. And that coincided with the exits unceremoniously of the Ouija board that we didn't know we had inherited with the other various interesting things in this house. Um, we have a large pool table downstairs that sometimes at night I can hear billiards being played on that pool table. 
sometimes at night I can hear you know, footsteps coming and going from around the house and it doesn't bother me, but that bothered me. That deeply, deeply troubled me. The last story that I'm going to share is one that doesn't bother me, but for me, it confirms what I know to be true. That spirits of those who have gone before us do continue to visit their homes. They continue to visit places where they have memories and energy that they have left in that space and with people whom they have left in that space. This next story is deeply personal and for me it's actually difficult to talk about because it's that personal. In Russian Orthodox faith, we, after people have died, we no longer keep pictures of them in the home. Um, we share a common belief with Native Americans that a part of your soul is attached to that photo. And so when family members die, we will keep the photos, but we will not store them for public display. We also cover mirrors and reflective services so that the spirits don't get confused. That way they know that they are no longer here because if they see a reflection, it could confuse them and they could be stuck and trapped here. And that's not fair for them to have to be here. To kind of explain the story a bit, I have to go back to my college days when my great grandma passed away. Um, I got the call that grandma was passing. She was very old and it was long overdue for her to, not that there's a due date for death, but she had lived an exceptional life. And for her, it was time for her release to go and be with my great grandpa who had died when I was a little girl when I was about eight or nine. And when I went to see her, she informed me that grandpa was there to come and get her. And shortly after she said that she passed away within a matter of minutes, grandpa had come to pick her up and take her home. So several years later, it was the night before my wedding. And like any young person, I had been going back and forth on, am I really making the right decision? My husband and I had been living together for years prior to that. And it was just an open fact of the matter. We'd been living in sin. We were basically just stamping it, making it legal <laughs> at this point. And in my faith, marriage is forever. You're stuck. <laughs> um, it's till death do us part, period. No negotiation on that. So it's a very, very serious decision. And at 25, I wasn't 100% positive 
that I, I was quite ready to make that solid commitment. And we all have those people that we wish we could get advice from long after they're gone. And my grandma was that person for me. Um, one thing that we will do in our faith is that on important days like weddings, where we allow ourselves to carry pictures of important relatives with us. Um, so my best friend and I were sitting in our night before hotel room and the two of us are messy on a good day when we're together. We're actually very, very, very messy most days when we're together um, because we revert back to our worst instincts of teenage girlhood. So there was makeup and curling irons and clothes and magazines and movies and food and drinks all over the place in this hotel room. I felt kind of embarrassed to be blunt. Uh, we had made that big of a mess in that short amount of time. Um, so we were sitting and my friend, my best friend fell asleep and I was going through the family photo album and I, I had four relatives that had passed long before I got married, but um, one of them was my cousin who had, he died in a car wreck. And I don't have very many pictures of him to begin with. And he was actually supposed to be my maid of honor. And I was looking for a picture of him. And I was looking for a picture of my grandma and grandpa. And I was looking for a picture of one of my aunts. So I'm, I'm sitting in my hotel room and I could not think or figure out which photo I wanted. I hadn't seen these photos in years. Um, my grandma died in 2010. My great grandpa died in 98 and my cousin had died in 2011. And this was 2015. So I'd literally not seen any of these photos in years. So for me, it was very highly emotional to begin with. <laughs> because I'm seeing pictures of dead relatives and I'm picking the ones that mean the most to me to walk with me down the aisle in my bouquet. And at some point <laughs> I fell asleep and went to sleep, fell asleep with the photo album in my lap and the room was a complete mess. <laughs> And later that night, I something woke me up. I wasn't really sure what it was. And it, initially, I was like, oh, hotels, I hate these things. I started looking around and I saw in the corner of the room a shadow. I was like, okay, that's weird. Maybe it's light from TV, no big deal. So I closed my eyes. And then I smell menthol cigarettes, vodka, and coffee, <laughs> which was, if my great-grandma had been a perfume, that would have been her smell. <laughs> and it, it's one of 
to this day, it is one of the most comforting smells to me. Because that's what I remember my great-grandma smelling like my entire life. To the day she died, <laughs> that woman had, the day she died, she had a menthol cigarette, a shot of vodka, and a cup of coffee <laughs> within a couple hours of her death. So that's how integrated into her personality the smell is. And I look up and I take a double take, put on my glasses and see my great grandma, who'd been gone for five years, sitting in this chair, dressed in this burgundy, because our wedding colors were burgundy and green, in this burgundy suit with a skirt. And she had her babushka on. And she had gotten one to match her suit. <laughs> um, my great-grandma would go out dressed to the nines, gloves and all. And she looked at me and she said, hello, Elisa. You're worried about something. And so when she was speaking to me in this situation, she was speaking in Russian. So I understood perfectly what she was saying, but I'm giving you the rough English translation of what she said to me. And I nodded because I'm still trying to wrap my head around. My great grandma is sitting in this chair in a hotel room and she's been dead for five years. <laughs> and I had to that point not sensed or seen anything to indicate that my great-grandma hadn't passed on um so it was more than a little bit odd <laughs> to say the least and she looked at me and she nodded and she said you're making the right choice this is what's supposed to happen And she had the photo album on her lap. And it looked like she was going through it and had paused when I woke up. And she said, you go back to sleep and don't worry, I'll take care of this. And I, I nodded and I was like, I must be dreaming. This must be a very very deeply weird dream <laughs> and I did as I was told I closed my eyes and I went back to bed I was like this is this is a strange dream <laughs> it has to be a very strange dream the next morning when my friend and I woke up the room that was a complete mess <laughs> looked like two teenage girls had been having a sleepover party, which we weren't teenagers anymore, but we were sure having a sleepover. It was clean. Like everything was picked up and organized and everything was put right. And the photo album that I had fallen asleep with on my lap was over on the little 
desk that they have in those rooms with the pictures that when I looked at them, they were the pictures that needed to go with me. And my best friend woke was waking up and just like, Elisa, did you smoke a cigarette in here? It smells like menthol cigarettes. And I looked at her and was like, no, I, you know I don't smoke. And she's like, well, that's what it smells like. I wonder if someone down the hall had been smoking. And something in my gut just told me, don't, don't tell her about grandma. And because it was striking me that that wasn't a dream. It, it was starting to hit me very hard that that was not a dream. That I had seen my grandma. And, you know, she's like, oh, you already started coffee. And I hadn't started coffee <laughs> at all. And I was like, no, I haven't yet. But let me get some coffee started and we can get started with our day. Because we got a long one. <laughs> and so we're sitting there and we go down and grab some breakfast and bring it back up. And she's like, you know, Lisa, last night. I could have sworn I saw your grandma sitting in that chair. And she said, I'm not trying to upset you, but you know, I just wanted to let you know I could have sworn. I mean, were you still sitting in that chair about one o'clock? And I was like, No, no, I was, that was not me. And I told her, you know, I I saw her too. I was in bed next to you and I saw her too. And I told her what my grandma said, and she's like, you know, your grandma always told us we're complete pigs when we <laughs> hang out together. Did you pick up the room? And I was like, no. And she looked at me and she's like, I, I think your grandma must have picked it up for us because otherwise we wouldn't have found anything <laughs> this morning. And, you know, we laughed it off. I was like, oh, you know, that would be grandma. And, and inside I'm sitting there trying really hard not to cry. And I'm trying really hard not to cry right now. <laughs> like, your grandma would be the one to tell you not to worry. She's taking care of it. <laughs> and we go about our day. And, you know, I, for the first time since my grandma had died, I actually felt like she was kind of sitting with me. You know, going to get my hair done and going to my nails done and all that. And, you know, I get to the church and it had snowed. We got married in the middle of December and it had snowed like crazy. And I actually had been hoping that it would because I love the snow. It's one of my favorite things. And, you know, like, you know this is just divine intervention because it had been bone dry for weeks prior to that. That had been the first snow anybody had seen since before Thanksgiving. Um, so we had that and we had the party and it was a wonderful, beautiful day. And a couple weeks later, we were looking through the photos. And in the family photos in particular, when we printed them, so in the digital copy, you cannot see this. 
but when you print them, you can see there's some slight distortion in the family photos particularly. So in the large family shots or the intimate shots where it would definitely be just these people in this shot. Um, in the large family shot, there are some distortions in the print where my grandma and grandpa would have stood had they been present at the wedding nearby my mom and my dad. And there's another distortion by where my aunt would have stood had she been able to be alive and be present. And then there's another distortion where my cousin would have stood. And there's another distortion in the printed photo only where you can see when they have the shot of the bridesmaids where my friend who was with me in the hotel that night, my maid of honor was standing. You can see a distortion very near to her side, which is where my cousin, who had he not passed away, would have been as the maid of honor. So for me, those things, those small things, just let me know that even though they couldn't be there physically, because <laughs> they're no longer with us physically, they, my family made the time <laughs> from the great beyond to be at the most important day of my life. And that's what I've gotten to witness. I'd like to address something in Elisa's recording. When we were recording, she was speaking about her daughter, Scarlett, and her being a boisterous soul. At 39 minutes and 45 seconds, you'll hear a loud, strange noise happen on the recording. And this was not something that I noticed when we were recording. I did not pick it up in my headphones. Um, it may be some kind of feedback between her phone and my recorder. Um, I'm not quite sure, but it's just a weird instance that had happened when she was talking about her daughter being a boisterous soul. You hear boisterous, and she starts to say soul, and then you hear this loud screeching sound. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you can surmise about this sound and this instance. You can follow What I Witnessed on Instagram and Facebook. If you have a story to tell, you can private message us on Instagram, Facebook, or email us at whatiwitnessed at gmail.com. W-H-A-T-E-Y-E-W-I-T-N-E-S-S-E-D at gmail.com. <laughs>